Good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Uh, as Dave said, we are in our next day. We are in our um, arrival Advent series, and um, last week uh, Dave Lovell and Matt spoke about the arrival of hope when the arrival of Jesus came. Today we are speaking about the arrival of peace, um, and we're just one week away from Christmas. Like Dave said, when AJ said that over at Eaglehawk, there was this kind of this groan. Mm, one week away. It's come quickly, hasn't it? <clears throat> it's, um, we anticipate it. It's this thing that sits out there on our calendar that we look forward to through the entire year. For me as a worship pastor, uh, planning for Christmas coming, uh, I had on my calendar this year, the 1st of August was my date to start looking at Christmas. So I've been living with it for five months. I get in before Coles and Woolies. I'm sort of the first one there, I think. <laughs> <clears throat> so it's been a long time coming, but great to be together today and talk about um, the gift of hope and the arrival of hope that comes at Christmas. And it's part of the broader story of Christmas, really, that, um, as Dave said, we look back at what God has done and we also look forward. And the broader part of the Christmas story is that we see in um, ancient times that the people of Israel were waiting with, an, with anticipation for a really important arrival themselves. And they waited a long, long time. God had given them promises and given them words for the future and given them sort of glimpses into what he was planning. But he didn't tell them when or how or what to expect exactly. And they waited in anticipation for an arrival of his promises for years and years and years. And one of the things that they waited for was the arrival of hope. So much of Israel's history is bound up in the promises of God and so many of these promises of God focused on the arrival of hope to this nation, uh, the arrival of peace, sorry, to this nation. And they craved peace. This is a people who lived in a time and a place where peace wasn't guaranteed for them. And so often in the ancient world, um, nations were invaded by neighbouring nations and wars were waged over territory and holy sites. Entire people groups were attacked and wiped out. And so living in this context, peace was a really high priority to the people of Israel. And they're really not that different from us, are they? <clears throat> in this day and age, in a very different way, we crave peace as well. In fact, I think it's part of the human condition, part of what is in our DNA that we crave peace. It's how God has created us. We want to live in peace. And we see it echoed in our culture everywhere in every movie, in every TV show, in every book and in every story. The narrative is always pushing to the desired conclusion of and they lived happily ever after. They made it through all of their trials and difficulties to the place of peace. We've got songs that ring out over generations as a response to wartime. We all know that one. All we are saying is give peace a chance. We all know that. And the search for peace shapes people's lifestyles and has created multi-billion dollar industries. Meditation and mindfulness, which offers people a sense of calm and balance and a reduction of stress as they focus and centre themselves to find inner peace. Counselling and therapy, bringing people, uh, helping people to navigate life in healthy, controlled ways, which bring mental, emotional and relational peace. Even the tourism industry, which aims to sell us the perfect peaceful getaway to rest and relax. There's a whole economy around this quest for peace in us. And even after death, as a culture, 
we wish people one final parting message, don't we? Rest in peace. Excuse me. In the realms of faith and belief and worldview, each religion has peace as one of its core promises and objectives. Eastern religions, such as Hinduism, Buddhism, emphasise access to a peaceful state of being. The New Age movement, which promises inner peace and tranquility. Islam, which literally translates as religion of peace. And of course, Judaism and Christianity, which, as we see in the Bible, are faiths that hold up peace as a central tenet and desired element of life. People all around the world, in all ages, desire peace and focus their lives around finding it. For ourselves, as we look out into the world and we see trouble and disaster and disharmony, we crave peace for people who experience that, people who are in turmoil and chaos and difficulty. And in our own lives, we seek peace as our normal state of being. Everything else might be going well for us, but if we're not at peace, there's something seriously missing. We can't rest, we can't stop, we can't relax, we can't be at peace. There is a powerful and constant pull towards peace that exists in the human heart. The quest for peace infiltrates every life. We desire it and what it offers to us, freedom, protection, calm and safety. So the question is, how do we get it? Well, perhaps we have to start by identifying some sort of definitions for peace. I want to do that in a few ways this morning and offer up four suggestions for, um, for a definition of peace. Firstly, there is internal peace, which is something that's contained within us that influences our own personal well-being, a sense of calm and order in our mental and emotional state. There's relational peace, something that exists between individuals as a product of agreement and alignment that allows them to have a cohesive relationship. There's national peace, peace between nations and people groups, allowing those who belong to those groups to live in safety and freedom from threat or danger. And lastly, there's peace with God, being reconciled to and experiencing a life-giving relationship with our Creator. So peace is something that we search for internally and externally. We want to find peace. We want to live in peace and we want to see peace in the world around us. We strive for it. And striving for peace isn't a new thing. It's not unique to our busy, overstimulated culture. As I said earlier, God's chosen people, Israel, were looking for peace in ancient times well before the rush of modern life. They sought peace, they prayed for it and they knew the value of living in it. And peace was always contained in the multitude of promises that God made them. He promised them land, he promised them nationhood, he promised them safety, he promised them prosperity, and he promised them peace. Many of God's promises actually pointed to a peace coming in the future. There were prophetic promises about a peace that was to come, a greater peace, a fuller peace, and a peace for all people. We see that in the words of Isaiah. And we're going to have this on the screen, but I also want to give you a sec. If you want to grab out your Bible or your device, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 2 together. Isaiah, it's between Genesis and Revelation. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 2. 
chapter 2, starting at chapter 2, verse 2. In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The Lord will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. He will beat their, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So God was promising Israel that a time of peace was coming where he would bring justice and peace to their nation. And he did do this. Unfortunately, Israel didn't always do what they needed to maintain it. And so we see the prophetic promise in this. We see verse 2. It refers to the last days and the fact that all nations will stream to the Lord's temple. And all of this points to a time in the future where God's promises and God's kingdom include more than just a small group of people in a specific area of the world. It indicates that the God of the Jews will be available to all people and that any who follow him will inherit his promises of peace. Another Old Testament prophet, Micah, spoke to the Israelites giving even more precise picture about God's plan to offer his peace, not only to the people of Israel but to all people. Um, we look at Isaiah, uh, sorry, Micah chapter 5. This is verses 1 to 5. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. And so again we see this promise of peace for a future peace for all peoples. We also see that the promise of peace is tied to a person, a specific person. It says, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. One who will come on behalf of God from a place of Bethlehem. One who will stand and shepherd God's peace in God's strength and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And Isaiah again has a really similar promise. We heard this uh, passage that Dave just read it earlier from chapter 9 in Isaiah, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is given, to us a son is given, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's armies will make this happen. And again, we see that this promise of peace is tied to a person, 
Verse 7 says that his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice. In fact, this person is so passionate about bringing peace that he is the embodiment of it. So much so, as we see in Isaiah, that he's called the Prince of Peace. Now, I've always wondered about that title, the Prince of Peace. This person who is also called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord, Lords. Why just the Prince of Peace? It's good to know that the word peace in Hebrew actually means leader, means chief ruler, captain and principal, among other things. The title Prince indicates a position of authority and power to rule, not just a male heir or a king's descendant like it does for us. This person is the leader of peace, the chief ruler of peace, the captain of peace and the principal of peace. This person has complete authority over peace, so much so that it's part of his title. So, who is it? This person who will be born in Bethlehem, who will shepherd people, who's the Prince of Peace? Well, it's pretty obvious to us, isn't it? It's Jesus. And so Jesus eventually came into the world, fulfilling all of the promises that God had given, showing the world how to live in peace and declaring that he will rule in peace for all eternity. Now, how would he bring this about? Well, he taught people how, what it truly means to love, honour and respect each other. He directed people to put others' needs above their own. He encouraged people to be peacemakers, telling them that as they do this, they will be called children of God. As he was preparing to go to the cross in John 14, he says to his followers, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He taught about peace, he encouraged peace, he modelled peace and he gave peace. <clears throat> and then he went to the cross and died. But somehow this was an act of peace as well. In fact, this was the greatest act of peace that God ever performed. And we might think, well, how can Jesus dying a horrific death on the cross be an act of peace? <clears throat> well, the promises God had given all along actually pointed to this. Yes, they spoke about God giving Israel peace in ancient times and they spoke about one who would bring peace when he appeared on the earth. But they also spoke about a peace that could only come through the sacrificial death of God's own son. <clears throat> Excuse me. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. As far-fetched as it might sound, this brutal death of God's son, the child whose birth we're celebrating at Christmas, was God's master plan to bring peace to the earth. God's justice demanded a sacrifice was made and pay for the sins of humanity. Without a sacrifice, God and humanity were at odds with one another, separated, unreconciled and unable to be at peace with each other. The sacrifice made a way for God and humanity to be reconciled because it paid the debt and met the demand of justice that was necessary. And so now through the sacrificial death of Jesus 
God offers peace to all people, just like his promises always said. But it's a peace far greater than the peace offered to a nation fearful of being invaded. It's a peace far greater than any cultural phenomena or worldview. We can't get it by meditating or having counselling or going on holiday. It's a peace that completely engulfs the lives of those who receive it. One that cannot be stolen or overcome. One that stretches into eternity for all who receive it. And it's a peace that comes through a person, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And God offers it to all people right now. In fact, I think it can be seen as um, two gifts. What I mean by that? Well, I think that peace, as shown in the Bible, can be understood and experienced in two different ways. Peace as an experience and peace as a position. I'll explain what I mean. Often when we talk about peace, um, more often than not, we probably refer to a feeling of peace what it means to experience peace in our minds, in our emotions, even in our bodies. It's a peace we experience and a peace that we feel. And it's a really good thing. It feels good to have peace. God wants us to feel like this. But it's not the most important type of peace. The most important type of peace is positional peace. And positional peace isn't a feeling, it's a state of being. And it's not something that we can achieve on our own. It's something that can only come through the gift our gracious God is offering us. Positional peace means being at peace with God. Having God place us in a position of peace with himself. Being in right standing with him. Being reconciled to him. Being accepted by him. Being forgiven by him. The Bible has a word for this and that word is justified. And this means coming into a relationship with God because he has forgiven us. Romans 5.1 puts it like this. <clears throat> Therefore, since you have been justified through Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read that again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. And this is a positional peace. It's our standing with God. This is a peace that God has been promising and forecasting from the time of the prophets until now. We come into this place of peace by being justified, which comes through faith. Faith is believing that Jesus is who he says he is and accepting him as our Lord and Saviour. When we're justified through faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with our Creator. Once we've done this, we can experience or feel true peace. And this is what God wants for us as well. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. God wants peace to rule in our hearts. He wants it to govern our lives. He wants it to be in charge no matter what the situation is. And as this happens, uh, as this becomes part of how we do life, it becomes a fruit that grows and matures within us and we learn to live with peace and in peace and share peace with other people. It's a peace that goes beyond anything we know. It's a peace that's available to us in any and every situation. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. 
And it's a peace that guards our hearts and minds from things we'd otherwise be troubled by. And both of these elements of peace are on offer to us today. And I want to take the opportunity or take the time to to receive um, either one or both of them if you would like to today. For those who wouldn't say that they're in a position where they have peace with God by being justified by faith in Jesus, for those who can't say that they're reconciled to God, to their creator, I want to encourage you to take this opportunity seriously today to consider doing that or to at least consider exploring what that means. You have the opportunity to come into a relationship with him and find peace beyond anything you've ever experienced before, to be placed in the position of peace with God, your creator. For those who would say they do have peace with God through Jesus, I want to encourage you to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Perhaps over the last few days or weeks, the peace of Christ has been pushed out by worry, by stress, conflict or busyness or something else that's happening. Or perhaps the peace of Christ... Hello, we've got a visitor. (laughs) Perhaps the peace of Christ um, is something that hasn't ruled in your heart for a long time. You can remember a time where it did, where you felt this peace that surpassed everything else but it hasn't been there for a while. Perhaps life's become complicated and complex. And when you didn't have all the responsibilities you have today or when your future seemed brighter or more assured, that peace ruled in your heart. Maybe it's time for you to let that peace of God rule in your heart again. I'll just invite the band up before we pray. Maybe you have positional peace with God, but you've never actually really experienced peace and his rule of peace in your heart. You have faith in him, but it's not something that changes your life. And so maybe for you it's time to surrender those things that you haven't surrendered before, to finally let go and receive his peace. As we consider this morning what he offers to us, why don't we pray together and... uh, turn our eyes to him. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for your offer of perfect peace. Thank you that you offer us peace with the one who created us and the one who loves us, the only one who can give us peace. Thank you that you made a way for us to be justified so that we can be at peace with you. And this morning I pray for all people in this room and online who haven't yet found peace with you. God, I pray that you will show them that you offer peace and that you are calling them into peace with you. Right now, God, I pray that you will speak powerfully to anyone here, anyone online who needs to find peace with you and draw them to yourself. Reveal yourself to them. Reveal your peace. And if that's you today and you know you don't have peace with God, your creator, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me this morning. God, thank you that you are revealing yourself to me as the Prince of Peace. 
that you are opening up my eyes to see that you're calling me into a position of peace, that you're calling me to be justified through Jesus Christ. God, I accept this offer right now. I turn away from those things that have distanced me from you and I receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Keep our eyes closed. Maybe you're someone who needs to let the peace of God rule in your heart this morning. You acknowledge to yourself and to God that his peace isn't ruling in your heart right now. And perhaps it hasn't for a long time. If that's you, let's pray this together. God, thank you that you've placed me in a position of peace with you, but that you also want me to experience peace ruling in my heart and over my life. God, I turn away from the things that I've let steal my peace. The things that I've prioritised over peace in my heart. The trouble, the worry, the stress that's currently ruling in me. God, I turn away from this. I give these things to you. And I ask that you flood me with your peace as I submit to its rule in my heart. I submit to your peace, God, and I submit to you.